um, really is, it'll culminate at the end, as you'll see, in a challenge of being all that God has made us to be, just as Michael is seeking to be. He was studying biochemistry, thinking that that's the direction that he was going, but didn't feel peace in his heart because God was calling him to ministry. Not all of us are called to that type of ministry, but all of us as Christians are called to ministry. And so when we have the SHAPE conference or the SHAPE seminar, you have an opportunity of learning your gifts of how you can serve, like what Chris was saying, how that began to open up a door. Even though he doesn't have the gift of an evangelist, he did a ministry of evangelism and is seeing his friends come to know Jesus. And so the very things that we think we can't do, yeah, we can't do on our own, but we can do with the gift and the grace of God. And so I'm going to pray. I want to pray for these things, and I want to pray for today's message as well. So let us turn to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are in this place that you have called us to be at. We are not here by accident. We did make a choice, and we made a good choice to come and to be in your presence with our brothers and sisters, the family of God, the body of Christ. And so, Father, we pray for these things that we've already sung about and the things that we've just heard about, for the ministry of shape, that it might be a place where each of us would go to learn, Lord, how have you made us with our spiritual gifts and with our heart and with our experiences and abilities? And Lord, how have you made us so that we would be able to use the personality that you've given to us, that we might reach other people for you? Lord, help us to learn this in Christ. Bless this. And Lord, thank you that you are helping Michael to express his shape in you and that he knew that you were calling him into ministry. And so we pray, Father, just as we know that you led him to us, we pray that you would use him in our midst and that you would give to him every experience that he might be able to be more trained and better prepared to be your servant in your kingdom, wherever you may lead him. And we thank you, Lord, that you've led him here. And we pray for fruit in this ministry. And Father, we pray for the word of God as we go into it right now. We pray, Father, that as we look at it, we would be encouraged and we would be blessed. We would be humbled and we would be broken. That we would desire to do all that your word says and we would acknowledge where we don't understand so that we might hold on to you more deeply because we know that you do. And Father, we pray that we would understand the power of your victory and the strength of your might. We pray that we might know and believe and trust that this is not just something that happens in the future. It is happening right now. You are victorious. You have always been and you always shall be. And you are God Almighty. And it is we know this because of Jesus Christ and of his blood shed on the cross and of his resurrection. Therefore, we know that you have all power, even over death, even over evil. You have all power because you are all good. And we give you praise. So now, Lord, we pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our God, Almighty. Amen. I like sports. Um, I like to, to be part of a winning team. I like to go to places where I can root for my team and get the joy and the experience of being with a crowd of people, most of them rooting for the same team. 
Um, when my team wins, I'm excited, I'm thrilled. When they lose, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated, I'm angry. I grew up in San Diego. And so I've been disappointed, frustrated, and angry a lot. We never win, all right? We've had sports teams for over 50 years. Um, our baseball team, you know, the Padres, um, they have a religious name, but um, they've never, ever won the big one. Um, the Chargers, you know, they, they, I think that the Super Bowl that they made it to was the Super Bowl where there was the biggest differential between the team that won and the team that lost, and you know which one lost. Um, you know, I, it's become so bad that I don't even expect my teams to win anymore. And, and that's sad, right? I'm not a good fan. My wife is a great fan. She's positive. She's always believing the best. She says, you've got to root for them when they're down. They need your encouragement. Someday they'll do it. You can't give up, right? She's, just, she's great. She's a great fan. Oh, I wish I was that way. And when I look at the world sometimes, and I look at what's happening in the world, I feel at times, and maybe you do too, like, man, you know, are we winning or are we losing? As Christians, are we winning or are we losing? And sometimes it's easy to feel like we are losing. But when we look at Scripture, we ought to have the heart that my wife has. We ought to know that God wins. And we ought to know that there is victory. And as we look at these scriptures in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we will see that God wins all the time. We will see that God is always victorious. He was victorious in the past. He's victorious now. And he'll be victorious in the future. And therefore, we ought to be excited. We ought to look forward. We ought to have hope. We ought to have expectation. Because these are all the good things that are coming into our lives. Now, as we go into this scripture, as we have been looking at First and Second Thessalonians, I have been thinking about this passage more than any other passage in all the 12 sermons that we'll look at in First and Second Thessalonians, because this is the hardest one of all. Um, this passage is, is known for being very difficult, and there are theologians who are in, infinitesimally smarter than me, and they know one side of the coin, and they believe it in one interpretation, and others equally smart, equally devoted to God, who have a different interpretation. And so as I was looking at this, I'm thinking, well, what do I do? How do I share this with you? And I was thinking and praying, and I felt like God was saying to me, Curtis, don't worry about what we don't understand. Focus on what we do understand. Focus on that which is very clear. Even though there are some things that are made not perfectly clear, there are some things here that are absolutely perfectly clear. And what is absolutely perfectly clear in this passage, as we shall see, is that God wins all the time. Now, I'm going to say that a few times today in the message. And when I say God wins, I want you to say all the time. All right? So let's practice that. God wins. All the time. Okay, and then after we say that, I'm going to say all the time. And then what? All right, so God wins. All the time. All the time. God wins. That's today's message. Let's close in prayer.
<laughs> Don't, ah, sorry. You wish. I, this passage is so important. And, and though I'm going to have to go through it quicker than I wish, you have all the passages there, all the other additional passages, and I encourage you to look at them later. But how then do we know the victory of God? The first one is this, and we'll see it in verses 1 through 3, but the first thing so that we will know the victory of God is this, that I seek to understand and interpret the times. Let me read verses 1 through 3, and you can follow. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. What I believe that we need to do, when we look at these scriptures, we see that Paul is teaching us that someday there's going to be a day when Jesus Christ is going to return. But until that day, some things have to happen. We have to understand that for the coming of our days, that there are going to be difficult days ahead, maybe even more and probably more difficult than we've ever experienced so far. And what Paul wants them to know is that he ha they have to stick to the teachings of what he's given to them. That's what we have to do. We have to stick to the teachings of what God has given to us in his word. We're going to see that. Paul's going to continue to remind them, look, I've taught you the word of God. You've got to hold on to that. You've got to stick to it. And so that's what we do. As I seek to understand and interpret the times, I do this by holding to God's word. I have to hold on to God's word. Now, it's true that as we read God's word, we won't understand everything. But again, there are some things that we fully can understand. Now, there are some things, and I want to acknowledge them through this message, the things that theologians and, and great minds have had different opinions on. And this passage is, is one of those that has so many of those. Well, one of the things that, that's debated and that's wondered about is where are Christians during this time? Where are Christians during this time? Now, now, Paul says that these people are unsettled and they've become alarmed. What's happened is that in this time, there have been some false teachers who have been going around. Paul had been teaching about the second coming of Jesus. We read that in 1 Thessalonians. Well, as Paul taught about the coming of Jesus, some used that against Christians and, and sought to bring about havoc in their midst by going, you know what Paul taught about the second coming of Jesus? It's already happened. And some of those who were unsettled, they didn't understand what Paul meant. And so they were alarmed. Now, some interpret this passage to understand that what they were unsettled about was that these people thought they had missed the rapture. These people thought that Jesus was coming back because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul teaches about the rapture. The rapture is at a time when Christians on earth will suddenly be taken up to be with the Lord. That's taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. And there it says that Paul says that the Christians who are alive will be caught up together with those Christians who have already died. They will be in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air, and so they will be with him forever. And so, of course, these people would be upset if that was true. If they had missed the rapture, then they're thinking, I'm not going to be with God forever. What's happened, Paul? What's going on? 
And so there are many who believe that the rapture has already occurred. Christians are now with Jesus in heaven. And then the passage that we're reading about right now is what happens after the rapture. Okay, that's one view. And then there's another view that says, but wait a minute. When we look at this passage, we realize that indeed Paul's trying to calm them down. But Paul seems to say that there are some order of events that must happen prior to the event that the people were so worried that they had missed. And so Paul refers to it as the day of the Lord or refers to it as the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul was referring to the coming of Jesus. And he says, you know, the coming of Jesus cannot happen until a couple of things occur. So it's interesting here that in this interpretation, then, if the Christians were worried about missing the rapture, Paul should have said or would have said, you would think, look, don't worry, you didn't miss the rapture because if the rapture had already occurred, you wouldn't even be here. You would be with Jesus. But instead, he says, look, the day has not happened yet, and other things must happen first. And these are two things that must happen. That there must be a great rebellion, as we see in verse 3, and there must be the revealing of a man of lawlessness. A man of lawlessness. And so those who look at it in that passage and in that form believe that the second coming of Jesus happens after the events that happen here, including the rapture. And therefore, Christians are still on earth, and they must be prepared And that seems to be, in my opinion, what Paul is saying here because of the way he answers their fears. He answers the fear that they had missed the second coming of Jesus by saying, no, you didn't miss it because there are these two things that must happen first. And the first thing that must happen is that there must be a great rebellion against God. And the second thing that must happen is that there must be a man of lawlessness. And he must come, and he will bring about a revelation of evil that the world has never seen before. Now, we must all study God's word. Because either way you believe this passage, whatever you believe about the second coming of Jesus and the rapture, what is still absolutely true is that God promises us peace, and that's what Paul is teaching them. He's saying, look, Paul has everything in control. God has everything in control. And so Paul wants them to have peace. And so as we understand, as we interpret the times, as we read the scriptures, God's goal is that we have peace. Paul's goal in writing this is that they have peace. And so as we do this, then this is the result. We will find the way of peace through all tribulations. We will find the way of peace through all tribulations. The man of lawlessness is most likely the person that John refers to in his, in his um, letters as the Antichrist. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 22, Paul says this, Dear children, This is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. So Paul's teaching us, John's teaching us a couple things here. 
One is that there are many antichrists that have already come even in the days of John. And he's saying that many more will come. But he's saying that all of those who come before a certain man who is the Antichrist. And so that there is going to be a continuation of forerunners to the Antichrist, the final one, with all these other pseudo-Antichrists. That they will come and they are going to bring havoc on the earth throughout history. We've seen that through history, both from the Old Testament to the New Testament through the desecration of the temple, through the treatment of the the nation of Israel, through the treatment of Christians around the world, we have continued to see evil running havoc through many of these previous antichrists leading to the final one that John talks about there in 1 John chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 14, Paul is teaching and Barnabas are teaching the disciples And they're teaching them that they must go through many different tribulations. We read this in Acts chapter 14. When Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And so all Christians are going to go through many tribulations. Paul was teaching to that to the new Christians in his day. And that continues to this day, that you and I continue to go through many tribulations. So whether or not we go through the great tribulation, whether the rapture is at the beginning before it and we're taken out of the world and the great tribulation happens, even if that happens, even if that's what God is going to do, even up to then we're still going to go through many tribulations. And we still need peace. And we get that peace by understanding the times that God says we are going to go through difficult times. We get that peace by holding on to God's word and reading it and studying it and knowing that God wins. All the time. time. And God wants us to know that. Notice at the very end of verse 3 that the man of lawlessness is revealed the man doomed to destruction. So no sooner is the man of lawlessness revealed than he is already defined as the one who is doomed. And that gives us peace and that gives us hope, knowing that God wins. And all the time. The second thing that God wants us to know so that we can live this victory in life is that I need to remember that the increase of evil means the nearness of Christ's coming. The increase of evil means the nearness of Christ's coming. Let me read for you verses 4 through 7. He, so this is the man of lawlessness, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God, Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And so again here, we have some things that are very difficult to understand. Like what is this temple? What is God's temple? Is it a literal temple? 
Or is it symbolic of all the temple, meaning the, the family of God, meaning the church of God in the world? And again, there's different opinions about that. The other thing about this passage that people wonder about is, is who is this person or what is this thing that holds back this man of lawlessness? And some theologians believe that that is the Holy Spirit who is holding back the man from lawlessness from coming into the world. Others believe that it is the power of government that God has given to the world and that when all chaos breaks out, governments will break down. And when those are taken out of the way, then the man of lawlessness will come and he'll be taking over the world through his treachery. And again, there's people there who have different views. What's interesting is in verse 6, Paul says to the Thessalonians, now you know what is holding them back. What you know, we don't know. Now, Paul had been preaching to them and they had heard him talk about who or what this was that was holding back the man of lawlessness. But he doesn't write it here for us. He doesn't tell us who it is in so many words. Now they knew, but we don't know. Theologian and Bible commentator Leon Morris says this about this whole passage that we're studying today. He says, this passage is probably the most obscure and difficult in the whole of the Pauline letters. And the many gaps in our knowledge have given rise to extravagant speculations. We must bear in mind the gaps in our knowledge and not be too confident in our interpretations of this notoriously difficult passage. The plain fact is that Paul and his readers knew what he was talking about and we do not. It is best that we frankly acknowledge our ignorance. And so Dr. Morris is helping us to understand that we must be humble when we look at this passage. So there are many things that we cannot fully understand. But then there are many things in this passage that we can be absolutely dogmatic about. For there are certain things that we know for sure in this passage that, that we don't have a hard time interpreting. So at the very end, the beginning of verse 7, it says there is a secret power of lawlessness at work. And so there's a secret power of lawlessness already at work. That's happening in our world today. Again, going back to John's teaching in 1 John, he says in verse, chapter 4, verse 3, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. And so even from the days of John after Jesus, the spirit of the Antichrist, those who denied Jesus were already in the world, these little Antichrists leading to the final one. And so when we look in the world, we ought not be surprised that there are so many battles in this world, not only against Christians, but against non-Christians, against each other, that there are wars all around the world, that there are tragedies all around the world. The Bible teaches us that even the earth was affected by sin. And therefore the earth and nature and, and God's creation yearns for the coming of Jesus so that they don't suffer anymore. And so we even read in the words of Jesus about what to expect before his coming. So let's look at Matthew chapter 24 verses 3 through 8. Matthew chapter 24 verses 3 through 8. Again, I'll read them and you can follow and they should be up there on the screen. Yeah. Okay. So as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, 
The disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. We hear about these things all the time in our news. We hear about the reality of wars, 10 major wars going on in the world right now. Another 15, I guess you would say, medium wars going on in the world right now. At least 25, and really more. There's actually a website um, that, that counts all the wars and gives you information about them. It's just incredible how many people are seeking to kill each other in the world today. Jesus said that's what's going to happen. No, we live in earthquake country. And, and we know that the big one could happen at any time. And we ought to be prepared for that because it could. And we do prepare for it in different ways. And what's more important than that is that Jesus is telling us that all of these are beginnings of birth pains. They are the beginning of helping us to understand that he is coming back. The disciples are saying, Lord, what are the signs of your coming? He says, these are the signs of them. These signs are happening in our world right now. God wants us to be ready. He wants us to know that that's why it's so bad in the world right now. Because all of these evil spirits and all of these problems abound because of sin in the world. But God is in control. God is in absolute control. God himself is holding back all evil from exploding in our presence right now so that people can come to know the Lord, so that you and I can grow closer to him. And even though there were many things that we can't understand, which Dr. Morris had said, he also continues and he says this. He says, what is abundantly plain is that God is over all. No wicked person, be he Satan, be he the man of lawlessness, be he anyone else, whatever, can overstep the bounds which God has appointed him. The man of lawlessness will be revealed only as when God permits. God is in control. God is under full control of everything that's happening in our world and everything that will happen in history. And Paul wants us to be absolutely certain that we can know for sure that God himself will not let any evil happen until the right time for him to bring complete victory and ultimate defeat to evil. Paul wants us to know that God wins. And all the time. God wants us to know that he is victorious. And we can know this for sure. And so thirdly, the way that we understand the victory of God is this, is that I trust the sovereign one true God. I trust the sovereign one true God. Let me read verses 8 through the beginning of verse 10. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth, 
and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawlessness, lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. This lawless one is going to have some kind of power to create miracles, to have signs, and to even have wonders. And those will be things that happen in this world, but they come from a false heart. They come from false motives. And they come to destroy and to deceive. But again, we see how quickly this lawless one is destroyed by God. So no sooner do we read about the lawless one being revealed in verse 8, than we read immediately, the Lord Jesus will overthrow him. How? With just the breath of his mouth. With just a little puff from his lips. The lawless one will be defeated. He will take out Satan with simply a breath, a breath of his mouth. It will be effortless. And God is in control. And this is the God that you and I are called to trust. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. The God who made the world. The God who calls us to redemption. The God who offers to us forgiveness. The God who allows evil to have a certain time, but will absolutely judge it and defeat it with even the breath of his mouth. God is sovereign and he's in control. And because of this, we also know then that there's going to be a victory for God and for every Christian. And so therefore, I can live with the expectation and hope of being with God forever. This is God's desire for all of us, is to live our lives on earth with the picture that no matter what we're going through now, there will be victory ultimately in Christ. And there will be victories on earth as well as we place our faith in Jesus. Paul was not trying to put together a timetable for the Thessalonians to use so that they could just sort of mark it off and say, now we know what's going to happen next. What he wanted them to know as he repeats multiple times in this passage, is that God is in absolute control of every situation. Nothing happens without him not only knowing about it, but without his permission. I was a young Christian, and I was going through some really difficult times. But as a, um, as a brand new believer, I was, I was really excited about the Lord. And so the first person that I shared Jesus with was my best friend. And so I helped lead my best friend to know Jesus. And then we went to church together. We went to Bible studies together. We went to fellowship groups together. And we began to grow as Christians early on in our lives. But it wasn't long after a couple years of being Christian that I started going through some really hard times, really difficult times, um, times that I despaired even of life. And I remember sharing with this best friend, and I said to him, I don't understand why all this is happening. I don't know why God's letting it happen. I don't know if Satan's doing it against me. I don't know where it's coming from. And I always remember what he said to me. He said, well, Curtis, if it's from God, then you can be certain that God's in control. But if it's from Satan, you can be sure that God's going to defeat him. And God won't let Satan do anything to you that he doesn't give him permission to. But ultimately, God wins. All and all the time, 
And this was my friend who helped to encourage me and to remind me what Paul was teaching us here is that whatever we're going through, we can have expectations of victory. We can have expectations of hope because God is in absolute control. And so the question is, do I trust God for all my little problems, all my medium problems, all my big problems, all the problems that I'm going through now and all the problems that I'll go through? Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulations. We will probably have troubles all the way until we die. And when we die, that will be our greatest test, going through that season of life. But God wants us to trust him through every difficulty, through every problem. He wants us to know that he is in control. He wants us to know that he loves us. He wants us to know that evil was not his plan. It was Satan's choice to rebel against God in heaven. It was man's choice to rebel against God in the garden. We have to take responsibility for our own sins. Those are our own choices that we make. But we can know for certain that God still loves us and wants us to walk with him. And so fourthly, How do we know the victory of God? It is in this way. That I know that God is not willing that anyone should perish, though many will choose to. Many will choose the way of perishing, but that is their choice. In verse 10, we read this. They, those who rebel against God, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Sometimes we wonder, how can a good God send people to hell? But the testimony of Scripture here is that that is the choice that people make on their own. We know the Scripture, John three sixteen, for God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance and to come to know the Lord Jesus and to be saved. That is not God's will that anyone should perish. But here we see that people will perish. And very clearly, why do they perish? They don't perish because God wants them to perish. They don't perish because God sends them to hell. They perish because they themselves refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Well, for us, If we know that we are not perishing and we don't want to perish, then we are to love the truth. And therefore, we ought to choose to love the truth in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth. In John 14, verse 6, the gospel is this. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. God has given us the key to heaven. He has given us the key to peace. He has given us the key to victory. God is love. William Henderson, another really respected theologian and scholar, says this. God is love. He is not a cruel monster who deliberately and with inward delight prepares people for everlasting damnation. On the contrary, he earnestly warns, proclaims the gospel, and states what will happen to people who believe and also what will happen 
if they do not believe. God wants all people to not perish. He wants all people to know true life. He wants all people to know his love. He wants you and me to know it. And if you're not 100% sure that you know it today, you can. If you have never given your life to Jesus, you can. If you want to live with God forever, you can. Because God says you can love the truth, who is Jesus Christ, and so be saved. There's a sample prayer here. And prayer itself does not save us. God saves us. But if the prayer represents the desires of our hearts and we give our hearts over to God, then God will save us. And here is this sample prayer. Almighty and holy God, I know and confess that I have sinned and have fallen short of all that you made me to be. I need your grace in Jesus Christ, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died and paid the penalty for my sins. In faith, I hereby give up my whole life to you. I surrender myself to you and ask you to make me all that you want me to be. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I commit my life to following and obeying you. If you've never said that prayer, if you're not certain that you're a Christian, and if this prayer represents the desires of your heart, then you can say something like this or say these words and commit your life to following Jesus. Because God wants us to be part of his winning team. But he wants more for us than just to be on the team. God's goal is not just that we all get on the team. God's goal is that we get to play on the team. God's goal is that we get to be part of the activities of the team. It's so much better when you're part of the game than if you're just a spectator around it. God wants us to be part of the team and to delight in the things that he delights in. We see the people who are perishing, they delight in wickedness. But those who come to Jesus will delight in righteousness. And the delight in righteousness happens as we participate in the family of God, as we read the scriptures, as we pray, as we worship, as we serve, as we give, as we receive, as we go through the problems of life together and we care for each other. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We are part of the team. We are part of the family. We are part of the body. And I know that many of us here, most of us here, are believers. And God wants us to delight in righteousness, to hold on to it, and to make that the goal of the rest of our lives. And so then again, here is a sample prayer. And I'd like you to read it out loud with me. And you have it there on your outline. If the person next to you doesn't have a, an, um, a bulletin or an outline, just share it with them. Let's read this prayer together. Almighty and holy God, I know you are holy and good and desire for me to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, in faith and in love of the truth, I submit all my heart, my mind, soul, and strength to you. Lord, help me to be diligent and ready for your coming. Fill me with your spirit so that I may victoriously live for you, serve you, witness for you, and love you always. Lord, I know God wins all the time and all the time. God wins. Amen. We're going to pray now. 
And I, I certainly hope that both of these prayers represent the desire of your heart. And if the first one represents the desire of your heart and you want to give your life to Jesus, then would you pray it with me even as I pray it? And then for all of us, if the second prayer represents the desire of your heart, in your own heart, would you pray it as well? Knowing that God is the victorious one, that he is coming again soon. He could come today. He will come when he is ready to come and when all time is fulfilled in his hands. But we must always be ready. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we look at your word and we are amazed. We ought not to be surprised that your word isn't always easy to understand because what we are holding is the power of eternity in our hands. The word of God that shall never perish. The word of God that will live for all of eternity. The word of God written by the hand of God. The word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. The word of God given to us through the word Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, when we read it, and it's hard to understand, we're not surprised. Great things and good things often need a lot of digging and teaching and inspiration. And we need that from you. And so, Father, we want to love you. And we want to know the truth. And we want to love the truth. And so, Father, for all those here today who want to give their lives to you, we say together with them, Almighty and Holy God, I know and confess that I have sinned and have fallen short of all that you made me to be. I need your grace in Jesus Christ and ask you to for, for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died and paid the penalty for my sins. In faith, I hereby give up my whole life to you. I surrender myself to you and ask you to make me all that you want me to be. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I commit my life to following and obeying you. Amen. If that's the desire of, of your heart, then I pray that you will commit all of your days to the Lord. And I encourage you to put that on the welcome card this morning because there's a little box there that would say that you prayed that prayer so that we can know and give you other Bible studies to help you to grow in your faith, to continue to grow in the grace of our Lord. But for all of us here, could we stand up and say this other prayer together. And maybe you're not able to say, I mean it right now, but maybe you are willing to say, Lord, I want to be able to mean it. And so you too, say it with us. Let's say it together as we close. Almighty and holy God, I know you are holy and good and desire for me to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, in faith and in love of the truth, I submit all my heart, mind, soul, and strength to you. Lord, help me to be diligent and ready for your coming. Fill me with your spirit so that I may victoriously live for you, serve you, witness for you, 
and love you always. Lord, I know God wins all the time. And all the time, God wins. Amen.